Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 18. So we enter the story already underway. The city is bustling, the kingdom is thriving, and business is happening. And the wise king is overseeing it all. He decides that today is a good day to balance the books, to settle accounts with his servants. And so he calls them in one at a time to set things in order. And so begins the parable at the end of Matthew 18. It's, the chapter is on life. It's on life in the community of Jesus, the new community that he's putting together, the new kingdom that he came to bring. And he's making sure that this community doesn't go off the rails because he knows it can. And so he's already addressed a few things in this chapter. There's the danger of rivalry. Who's the greatest in the kingdom is how this got started. And then there's the danger of sin. Sin in our own lives that we're called to kill. Sin in the community that we're called to address. But there's one more danger that Jesus wants to address. One more that he wants to prepare the community to withstand. It's a coming storm that he can see. And he wants the community to be prepared. And Peter's question gives him the opportunity to do it. So Peter asks this question, and, and the teachers of the day, they had taught what it looks like to be a, a good Jew, a, a, a Jew that's part of the, the Jewish community. And, and, and part of that, hey, you know, they're, they're going to sin against each other. We've got to forgive each other. This was taught as part of being in that community. And not just once, but you should forgive the same person of the same thing up to three times. This was standard Jewish teaching. And so Peter, you know, he's thinking about this and he says, you know, so Jesus, how many times should we forgive each other? And then in a really bold move, he goes like way out on the end of the branch and says, you know, up to seven times thinking like, you know, I mean, the, the standard is three. Let's just kind of go big, maybe even show Jesus what a good disciple I could be. Is it seven times? And Jesus' answer is no, it's not seven times. Depending on how it's translated, it'll either be translated as 77 times or even 70 times seven times. But Jesus' point is not the count. His point is not to count the number of times. If you're still counting, you're not forgiving. And so to illustrate, he tells us this parable of a busy day in a bustling kingdom. Let's read it together. So Matthew 18, it begins in verse 21, and we'll read down through the rest of the chapter this parable of Christ. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God's Word. It was a day for business. The process began and the servants were brought before the king. Accounts were settled and debts were paid. And eventually a servant came forward who owed 10,000 talents to the king. Now, we need to wrap our minds around the money in this story in order to understand what Jesus is saying. There's two denominations of money. There's the talent and the denarii. Let's start with the denarii, all right? It's a little easier to get our minds around. It was a relatively small unit of money. This is what you would pay someone for a day's labor, all right? A denarii. So if you were to work a year and, you know, you get your Sabbaths off and whatever, you'd make roughly 300 denarii a year, all right? That's, that's, a, that's a denarii, a year's wages. Now, a talent is on the far other end of the spectrum. It is the largest denomination of money that Jesus could have called upon, and it is equal to about 6,000 denarii. So let's do the math here real quick. I know, hold on, hang with me here, right? 300 denarii is a year worth of payment. A talent is 6,000 denarii, or about 20 years of labor. So in your working life, if you got a full 40 years of work in, you could make two talents. All of which you would have spent to live on, right? I mean, it's not like you'd have them at the end, but that's, that's more or less what you would make. One to two talents over a lifetime, and here comes the servant who owes 10,000 talents. This is lifetime upon lifetime upon lifetime of debt. More money than the population of that city would have seen in their combined 
lifetime. It is a preposterous amount of money. He owes zillions of dollars. How do you spend zillions of dollars that you don't have? Who could possibly spend that much money that isn't theirs? I mean, except for Congress, obviously Congress. I mean, but other than them, who else can spend zillions of dollars that they don't have? He owes 10,000 talents. And if he were to work 20 years, he could pay back one. Doesn't stop him, though, from asking for time in verse 25. Well, verse 25, the master says to sell the, the man and his wife and children and payment be made. So they, they're going to be sold and payment's going to be made. It's not going to be the hundredth of what is owed, but they're going to be sold for their debts. And so the servant, verse 26, falls on his knees and implores him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, I get this guy's cry for mercy. Can you imagine what's happening here? You and your family are about to be sold into slavery for this. The lights are going out on your life, and you've got not a prayer in the world to paying this back. But he doesn't actually ask for mercy, does he? He doesn't actually ask for forgiveness. He actually asks for more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Oh, king, just give me a few months, and I'll come up with this. I'll, I'll come up with the money. This makes me think of some mafia movie where the really slimy guy who keeps losing the family money is like standing before the mafia father one more time, having just lost zillions of dollars, and you kind of know how this is going to work out for him in the end. But he's just, give me one more shot, you know, I'll get that money back for you. Here's the servant on his knees begging for time. And God gives him mercy. The king's heart goes out to the servant. And he doesn't just give him time. He gives him forgiveness. He gives him 10,000 talents paid in full. A clean slate, a new hope, a new future, a new life. And the servant rises from his knees a free man. Despite all expectation, out he goes. He goes on his way home, goes on his way to his family, goes on his way to resume his life. He walks out of the king's presence with his head held high, and apparently a little too high. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant owes our main servant a hundred denarii. Now, let's put that into context of what that means. Remember, a denarii is a day's wages. So this is a hundred days' wages. So this is three or four months' worth of money. Jesus is not here trying to choose an insignificant amount of money. How much money is three or four months worth of salary? 
tens of thousands of dollars, something like that. 10,000, more than 20,000, it's not insignificant. There's a substantial amount of money that is owed. It's real money. And how does our freshly forgiven servant respond to his fellow servant? He seizes him. He lays his hands on his fellow servant. The king had not done that to him. And then he begins to choke his fellow servant. The king had not done that to him. He is violent, he is angry, and he is threatening. Pay what you owe to me. You owe it to me. And so his fellow servant begins to beg in verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Do those words sound familiar? Because they should sound familiar because we just heard them spoken back in the palace. As that man had pleaded with the king, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And so he takes this man off to jail and has him committed to jail until he can pay everything back. This apparently had happened on the street or maybe in the courtyard of the palace and there were other people around. And you could imagine, this would be like trying to stop watching a train wreck. Here comes one servant with another and he begins to choke the guy. Well, we're kind of watching this happen. What is going on between those two, right? And they're shouting, and the one guy falls down, pleading, and the other guy lifts him up and drags him off to jail. This was not done in private. This was public, and other servants saw it. And so they take the report back to the king. And so our servant gets called back to the king as well. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. I want you to think about what's happening right here this man whose debt had been forgiven is now reinstated in full. And he is committed to jail until it is fully paid for. And it's not this small payment that was owed to him. He's not going to be in there until four months' worth of payments have been made. He's going to be in there until the 10,000 talents, the hundreds of lifetimes of payments have been made. So up until now, we've just been in the story, right? We've been kind of enjoying this story, and that's the point, right? Jesus brings us into a story that's meant to be told and heard and experienced, and, and our emotions are meant to track with it. Because he teaches differently in a story than just directly at us. 
right? But now Jesus looks at his disciples. Verse 35 is the one verse where he breaks out of the story and applies it to his people directly to us. Jesus looks at his disciples and basically says, you're in this story. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Friend, where is your place in this story? Your place and my place is the servant forgiven the debt by the king. That's our place in this story. And here, Jesus finally answers Peter's initial question. How many times must I forgive? Up to seven times. And Jesus' answer is simply, stop counting. Forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And not merely externally, but he points it out that we must forgive from the heart our brother or our sister. And the parable has two very clear reasons why we are called to do this. Reason one, forgive because your eternity depends on it. Forgive because your eternity depends on it. Now listen, I know this parable brings up all kinds of theological questions about salvation. Was Jesus really teaching that we can actually lose our salvation? Was Jesus saying that some Christians won't make it to heaven over this, these issues? But I want to set those questions just aside because I notice that Jesus isn't focused on them. And I want to focus on what he is focused on right here and take his words and allow them to impact us. Rather than focusing on the theoreticals that we would bring, let's ask questions about what he's actually saying. Is Jesus saying that those sitting in these pews and Mercy Hill are required to forgive their brother and sister when they sin against them? Is he saying that your refusal to extend forgiveness will result in God's refusal to forgive you? Yes. That is exactly what he's saying. Yes, he is. Most clearly. Anyone who refuses to forgive a brother or sister has no right to expect forgiveness themselves. No right. Christ, when he talked about this a few chapters before, has said, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Forgiveness is not optional for the Christian. Forgiveness is required, and we should forgive because eternity depends on it. There is no other way to read the words of Christ here. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Dear friend, think. Get rid of the theoreticals for a minute and apply what he's saying. Think for a moment. Is there anyone whom you are not forgiving? Is there anyone that you are withholding the gift of forgiveness from? Do you need a bigger motive than this? Can, can there be a bigger motive than this? Can, 
Listen, friend, if that's you, if you've got someone in mind, go to them, run to them, rush to them, hurry to them, give them the forgiveness that they need. And give them the forgiveness that you need. Because you are one who needs the forgiveness of God as well. If, if you are withholding forgiveness from a brother or sister, this passage is meant to set off klaxons and sirens and alarms and bright flashing lights in your mind. That you would be compelled to forgive and to forgive from the heart. So may I just plead with you. Don't assume Jesus is exaggerating and that he doesn't know his theology when he says this. Assume he knows exactly what he's saying and apply his word and forgive your brother or your sister. All right, reason one, forgive because your eternity depends on it. Reason two, forgive because of what you've been forgiven. Forgive because of what you've been forgiven. And this second one is not just a reason. It's a secret. This second one This is where it's at as the believer. This this is where the power to forgive comes from. This is a hidden power that the world knows nothing of and has no access to whatsoever. It's an unseen force. This This is the mighty lever which can move the unmovable rock of bitterness in your heart. This, this, this is the, the pulley that can lift the, the massive weight of anger and scorn that you feel towards someone else. This is the, the hidden engine that can drive forgiveness down in the depths of your heart and move it forward. How? So let's start with this. Let's recall how much the one servant owed to the other. Four months of pay. Tens of thousands of dollars. That's real money. That's a real debt. That is not easily overlooked. This parable is not about things that are easily overlooked. Because you don't need a parable for that. Because they're easy to overlook. All right? This is about stuff that is hard to overlook. This is about real sins and real forgiveness, costly forgiveness, the laying down of the right to demand payment for something that was really wrong and really big, something massive, something that hurts, something that leaves you with less, something that leaves you with scars, something that leaves you with pain, something that leaves you with poverty. That's what we're talking about here. And I know that I'm talking to humans in the real world. And that everyone here has been called to forgive some kind of sin against you. And some here have been sinned against grievously, unimaginably, horribly. And you have 300 denarii, 10 thousand dollars worth of reasons not to forgive how could jesus make such a demand of his people how does he call us who actually live in the real world and really are sinned against to forgive what's the secret 
to forgiveness. Friend, the secret is not found by minimizing what others have done to you. The secret is not found by pretending like it didn't happen, that it's not a big deal, that it didn't matter. You're not going to find that in this parable. The secret is not that we blur, that we try to lose focus on what others have done to us. Here's the secret. The secret is that we bring into focus what God has done to us and what God has done for us. Do you have any idea of the magnitude of God's forgiveness for you? Have you, have you contemplated this? See him in this parable. Here's me, you, before the Lord, pleading. And here's his heart going out to this wicked servant. The servant was undeserving by zillions. The servant didn't even properly ask for mercy, and yet the compassionate heart of God went out to you. Glory to God. Have you forgotten, dear friend, the height and depth and breadth and length of the forgiveness of God to you? It is easy to forget. It is easy to overlook. But Jesus is not joking in this part of the parable, and he's not exaggerating how much God has forgiven you. He is not exaggerating how much God has forgiven you. He is revealing how much God has forgiven you. That's what this does. Let this inform your relationship with the Lord. Let this inform your understanding of forgiveness and salvation. And these words we can just throw around. Ours was a debt incalculable. Far, far, far beyond what we could have any hope of paying. And I tell you, friend, it is far greater than you feel it to be. As deeply as you feel and are aware of the grace of God, you haven't felt the tenth of the reality of His forgiveness for you. In this parable, I am the man. You are the man. You are the woman here before the Lord as he forgives, as he forgives this incalculable sum. But to step outside of the parable just a bit, because this was before Christ had died, he, he just stopped here at this idea of Forgiveness, but we know, friend, that God didn't stop with just forgiving our sin. As though he just removed it and took it away and just ignored it. He did, glory to God, overlook our debt, but he didn't just overlook our debt. He assumed our debt. He took upon himself our debt. And on the cross, he paid our debt. Zillions. Zillions. Into his back. Driven into his body. Our debt. Your debt. My debt. 
he didn't just forgive it all. He paid it all in our place. Friend, would you know the, the secret of forgiving others? It is to look again and again and again and again at what God has forgiven you. That's where it is. Know what he has forgiven you of. Remember what he has forgiven you of. Recall what he has forgiven you of. Worship him for what he has forgiven you of. And then, in light of 10,000 talents, when someone comes to you with a hundred denarii sin, who am I to not forgive? Who am I to not forgive this? I'm standing up here on a stage. I think of it as named mercy because it's the only thing I can stand on. It is the only thing that holds us up. Do you understand? What do we stand on while we're choking each other? Mercy. It's the only thing the believer has to stand on as we treat each other, however we do. And friend, as we look again and again and again to the cross, stand amazed again and again and again at how God has forgiven us, as we focus on the fact that he's forgiven us something so great, the ability to forgive just begins to flow. This is the effect of the gospel. This is the hidden engine that I was telling you about, that, that lever which, which just makes things happen in our hearts. What is four months of payment next to 100,000 years? Who am I to withhold mercy? Friend, this morning, if you have not known the mercy of God, then I want to invite you to him today. I want you to see the king here as the one willing to forgive the largest debt brought before him, the incalculable debt, the debt that would ruin the kingdom, he gladly and graciously forgives. And if you're coming in and you're just aware of your sin and overwhelmed by your sin, and you can't imagine that God is able to forgive your sins, or perhaps you're on the other side and you're just barely getting the idea that you're a sinner, barely aware that there's sin that God would need to forgive. Friend, wherever you're at on there, he is fully able and willing and glad to forgive you. This parable teaches and shows that there is more forgiveness in Christ than there is sin in his servants. And he will forgive all who look to him. And church, if you know his mercy, then let's worship him for his mercy. Let's be thankful to God for his mercy. Let's treat God as though and like he has forgiven us a great debt. And then let's treat each other as though God has forgiven us a great debt. That's the community of Jesus. That's what he's seeking to build right there. Those who relate to God rightly, understanding that we have been forgiven incalculably. And then turn around and deal with the imperfect people in the pew next to you. 
by remembering that what God has forgiven me, what God has forgiven you. He is worthy of our praise for having forgiven us such a debt. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Let me pray. Lord, I, boy, when we talk of these wondrous realities of the gospel, I'm aware of how limited are my words, how limited is our apprehension of and appreciation of what you have done for us. Oh, Lord, would you continue to reveal your goodness displayed on Calvary to us day after day after day, that we would be a thankful people, a worshiping people, a forgiving people. In Jesus' name, amen.